Okay, so Doug, quick coach, how do I do the Geralt voice? Now you have to tell me, don't cheat, don't withhold anything. Let me have it. Okay, well, um, the way I tend to achieve the Geralt voice, which is way down here, wow, is by going out really late the night before, <laughs> drinking lots of scotch and smoking cigars. Oh. And then not going to bed until 4 a.m. Well, I haven't got time to do that, Doug. Can't I fast oh. forward that? I've got some whiskey here, but... Um, well, I just say, Bertie, you just have to take your voice and drop it into your... Into your... Underpants. Groin. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm going to take take my voice down here now. Okay, now, now I've found it. Now I'm an expert. Let's have a little showdown. Um, who said it best, Bertie or Geralt, a.k.a. Doug Cockle? So the first line, and this will be familiar to you, and it's very familiar looking out the window today. Wind's howling. Whoa. I don't know. I don't know, Bertie. That was pretty good. Let's hear your I, version. I don't know if I can, I can match that, that near perfection. <laughs> Wind's howling. Oh my God, you, you sound think? just like him. I know. I've been working on it. That's very good. Okay, second one. Okay, <laughs> let's call that a draw because it was close. Um, second one. Um, handy for anyone who's lost their horse. Come on, Roach. Okay. Okay. All right. Come on, Roach. <laughs> what? <laughs> It's great. I, I don't know why I would find that surprising, but it's it's uncanny. <laughs> I wonder why. Okay, and this is apparently your favourite line. I was watching a video from not too long ago, and and you said this was your favourite line because you say it so often. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> oh my, yes. Uh, do you know? A little bit of trivia before I I try to over, out out Geralt you. <laughs> um, they never let that just be repeated as as a recorded bit. I had to say everything every single see ya every single time. Wow, <laughs> that's a lot of see ya's. How many do you think that's that is in the game? That's like thousands. Oh, I don't know, uh, hundreds at least. Yeah, but here we go. Here we go. Okay, okay. you ready? Is, this is 171. <laughs> see ya. <laughs> Very good. That's the best one. That's the best see ya I've ever heard. Are, are you ever tempted to say goodbye to your friends with that voice? Does it ever slip through? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's a simple answer. But uh, no, Geralt's voice is such a part of me now. Before Witcher Three, I don't think this was the case. I think that over the, over the many years of doing Geralt's voice, um, it, it my voice shifted so that Geralt's voice is just part of my lower register now. So I will literally be walking around the house, and I'll be like, "Oh man, I got to do the laundry. <laughs> Dishes need doing too. What am I gonna have for dinner?" You know that kind of thing. It just it just kind of falls out of my face, and then, you know, I I, I register somewhere in my conscious mind that uh, uh, Geralt has manifested himself in my laundry. 
Welcome to One to One, an interview series where I find interesting people from around the world of games to talk to. I'm Bertie, a journalist at Eurogamer, and today on One to One, well, you've just heard him. It's Geralt of Rivia, more specifically, it's the Ingr- English language voice of Geralt of Rivia, Doug Cockle. Doug Cockle, how are you? Hello. I'm well. I'm well. Well, I'm going to bring this up because I'm probably going to end up coughing at some point. I've got a bit of a chest cold. Um, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, my uh, my voice isn't quite what it normally is. <laughs> Do you think Geralt gets colds? No, Geralt never gets colds, man. Because he's, you know, he went through the trial of the grasses and all that. He's like, you know, he's, I don't know if he's immune to bugs, but, you know, certainly the the, the little niggly ones you know like chest colds and flus and i don't he doesn't need to get a winter seasonal flu jab does he no he doesn't yeah those flu bugs they just roll off him like water off a duck's back man i want some of what Garrett's having so what have i interrupted (laughs) you doing today because i like asking this question because it's kind of a window into the life of a of an actor of a, a voice actor Wow, what have you interrupted me doing today? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you are in my schedule. You are my schedule for today, Bertie. Damn it. <laughs> no, because because I'm not feeling 100%, um, I, and I didn't have anything scheduled anyways, but normally I'd be like, you know, I, I, I don't know, I'd be reading stuff I need to read, or I'd be, uh, you know, chasing down invoices or, you know, whatever it is, you know, just general administrative kind of stuff. Uh, that that all artists do in the background and they never really talk about, but it's it's there. It's the business part of the artist bit. So normally I'd be doing that, but I kind of I just gave myself today off with um, with the exception of yourself, your good self. Oh, thank you very much. And you're coming to us live today from what looks like the inside of a, a padded cupboard. Um, I, I'm assuming this is your home recording studio. <laughs> It's not a comment on on my state of mental health. <laughs> <laughs> it's a yeah. It is a um, it is a studio I've built into the corner of my my bedroom. So it it literally. I mean, if I you can see, I'm reaching that way, and my hand is outside of the booth now. But we've got these. Um, ah, how much you can see? These are like um, they're acoustic blankets. So it's not soundproof, but it's sound deadened. So when I'm in here, uh, you know, my mic can can be the professional thing it needs to be occasionally. That's exciting. And I think more and more voice actors are doing this so they don't have to. Well, it's still not going to get the same results, presumably, as going into the studio. But you're able to do some things at home this way. I think. Yeah, some things, you know, really small projects um, uh, or if if a studio, for whatever reason, decides they want me to record from home, then I, I have the capability to do that. Um, what where, where it's become more important, especially since the, the pandemic, is self-taping. So it used to be that, you know, even for video game voiceovers or, or things like that, I'd have to go up to London um, go to the studio, spend 10 minutes in the studio to audition <laughs> um, and then go home again, you know, and, and, you know, that's, that's a lot of traveling for a 15 minute audition, 10, 15 minute audition. 
now more often than not they just say can you self-tape please and um and send it in so you know in in that regard having the the, the ability to self-tape has just changed my life man nice so i hear you're off to mcm birmingham this weekend for people listening to yeah. this we're recording on the 8th of november you might be listening to this a few days after but you're hanging out with the voices of tris uh, marigold dandelion and eridin even i can't believe you're yeah. making friends with the wild hunt what's happened i know <laughs> well we've been trying to do it for years you know it's um well it's been a weird one because i think it's only in the last five or six years maybe that voice actors have really started going to these kinds of events. Okay. Um, and when I first started doing it, it was, it was such a strange thing to be doing. Um, and a lot of the, I, I approached a lot of the cast, or a lot of the main cast from the Witcher in previous years, but they've either never been available or not interested for various reasons. Okay. So this is just the first time that actually the four of us, the stars aligned. Um, I wanted to get Denise Goff, who's Yennefer as well, um, but she has a very, very busy shooting schedule, so she's not able to uh, to join us. But uh, yeah, it's, it's it, the, like I said, the stars aligned. Have you met Denise now? I have, yes. Not in, per uh, in person. I met her at We were asked to do um to co-present um a thing called uh, future games okay um an online kind of event so we we met during that she's lovely she was she's just <laughs> she's great because i remember you telling me um when we first met and this was like six years ago now but i remember you telling me back mm -hmm. then and it's something that stuck in my mind because i hadn't really realized that it happened this way but now i hear it in games um, and in voiceovers is this thing where voice voice actors record a lot of their lines independently uh, so that then they can be pulled apart and uh, and stuck wherever in the game like a kind of collage um, that's what you did in i think all of the witcher games in fact you were telling me that over the course of all the witch games you had you hadn't met Yennefer you hadn't met some of the other actors um and I found that that kind of blew my mind it's a, a strange thing mm. does it does it still seem kind of strange to you I, I suppose you're used to it and I am used to it it's um it is a funny one uh because unlike most other acting jobs you just don't meet your your coworkers, right? You and it know, must you, be difficult meet... from a performance point of view because acting, I suppose, is reacting in uh, some mm. senses. But you don't get that opportunity unless does someone feed you the line as they have heard it or will imagine it will be um, said. How does that work? Well, if they don't have, if I'm going in to record, if they don't, if they haven't already recorded the other person's lines in the scene then the director will often read in. Okay. So they'll, they'll read the other person's lines. But if someone has recorded previously, and if those lines are ready and available, I don't know what that means exactly. I just know that sometimes they're not ready or available, even though they've been recorded. Um, that's a technical thing for, you know, the editors and the, and the engineers. Um, 
if if the other person's lines are available, then they'll they'll play them back, so I can uh, react to something. But I think, if I remember correctly, more often than not, I recorded before other people, so they'd have me to react to. Ah, uh, but I wouldn't necessarily have them to react to. Ah, uh, I see, I see. But things are changing, or they seem to be. It seems that games now are focusing more on having actors in a room together where they can if they can put them in i suppose typically like a massive motion capture studio i'm talking about the most cinematic games i guess here but mm. i was playing a smaller game uh called south of the circle which was an app apple arcade uh game first but it came out on switch i think recently and that does it really well and i think one of the things they wanted to do was have all the actors in the same room together and you can feel the kind mm. of naturalism i suppose is a response it does it feels like they're talking to each other um hmm. but i guess it's a symptom that's... of the kind of games that you know that that yeah. that's not a game with lots of dialogue choice and consequence you know that's a game with a sort of predetermined path which i suppose it's easier to do i i imagine it would be because it's, it, it would be more like putting together a radio play um and in radio plays the actors are almost always all in the same room um, at the same time recording. bashing the coconuts together for horses yeah uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah talking with knights with no arms and no legs you know <laughs> sorry or you made the coconut reference and i immediately went to monty python <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come back and finish me off um mm. So you seem to be going to a lot of conventions uh, too. You know, MCM Birmingham this weekend is one of them. How much time of your year is spent kind of going around to these things? Because I go to a few of these things and I find them quite tiring. Um, and I'm sure people listening mm. have been to a few of these things. And that could dominate your year. I don't know. How, what's it like for you? Yeah. Well, I don't go to nearly as many of these things events as um some other people i know um and i don't know why that is uh just you know supply and demand i guess but um i really enjoy them and and although they are exhausting uh there's a certain amount of uh i feel like i feed off the off the positive energy of these events as well mm. um i enjoy them because the people going to these events generally speaking don't have an axe to grind or anything like that they are just there to celebrate this stuff that they love mm. you know whether it's witcher or something else you know it doesn't really matter there's just a really positive uh feeling in the air and and certainly you know when i'm sitting at my autograph table signing things and meeting people they're not coming to me to complain. They're coming to me to go, <laughs> man, I love your work. You know, I love the Witcher so much. Thank you so much for being the voice of Geralt, you know, and, and that's, uh, it's weirdly, it's like a, like an affirmation, hmm. you know? So, um, although it is exhausting and I do walk away tired, um, it's a good kind of tired. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's a funny one. I do give energy. I mean, anybody who, who does these things and does them right gives a lot of themselves mm. um, at these events. So, but, but I, feel like, I feel like I get back as well. Yeah. 
So I mentioned briefly that interview I did with you before. To recap for people listening who might not have seen this because it was six years ago now, um, I travelled down to Bournemouth one cold December uh, morning uh, six years ago now to meet Doug on the campus where he was teaching at the time. You were the the course leader for acting at Bournemouth Arts University, I think. So The mm -hmm. Witcher 3 was kind of well out at, at this point. Um, I've been out for kind of a year and a half and the expansions, one of the expansions I think had just come out. Um, and I remember thinking on the way down there, I was like, this is an odd place to find, in my <laughs> mind, a star. Um, and I remember meeting you and just being kind of blown away. This is a, a weird choice of word, but blown away by how so normal you, you are <laughs> I I, you know i was just like oh you're just like a, a you're just like a guy you're just uh you're just doug um but you know we talked and we spoke about how you got into this kind of thing that i i will link this interview um in the piece so we're not going to kind of go over those things but i remember when i left you were kind of weighing up the pros and cons of going back into acting full time at the time mm. and um and i think then you decided to go for it because i think you left that teaching post and launched yourself mm. back into the world of acting as far as i understand and that was well i think i saw you at a convention after yeah. that but that was the last time i saw you really so i mean how has it been yeah. going has have things uh worked out how you hoped yeah well I, i'd like to uh, yes they they have and they, and they haven't. Um, God, how much time have we got? <laughs> it's, it's been a long six years. Um, just going right back to when you and I first met, um, and you interviewed me in that little tutorial room <laughs> on, at the university, and I seem to remember it, it could, because it was early December. It was the end of term, and it had been a heck of a term, mm. and I was knackered absolutely shattered and it was the end of the end of a day so it was yeah. like three o'clock in the afternoon or something yeah. like that yeah and i seem to remember that we were sat at that little round table and i seem to remember at several points just being like like this talking to you <laughs> you know what i mean and it wasn't you and it wasn't it wasn't the subject it was just i was absolutely knackered um and that was, and that wasn't just that day or that term. That was, you know, nearly thirteen years of foot on the accelerator, mm. and doing all of The Witcher and other games and other projects as a professional actor on t on top of being a senior academic uh, and line manager at a university. Yeah. So it was a lot of stuff all all crammed up together. So yeah, I did have to, I, I came to a point where the stress of it all was, was too much. And, um, my wife was worried for my health. Oh. And so we had a long conversation. And I decided to leave the teaching post and, um, and there were other reasons why as well, um, which I won't go into, but there was a lot of push and a lot of pull. So I went back into professional acting and it, it was, it was fine. It was okay wasn't what I had hoped at first. Okay. Um, and so I actually went back into teaching again. Ah. And um, I, I took up another post as a program coordinator for an acting for film course. And then COVID hit. Ah. And um, 
you know, there, there's more to this story, but um, basically uh, that post didn't work out. And so in 2020, July 2020, um, mid-pandemic, I was thrown back into freelance life. So, and, and, and since then, I've just been, you know, humping it and doing my thing. And I ma- I managed to go back to school and do an MBA. Yeah, I saw something about this. It's something in, was it something in computers or something? No, Masters of Business Administration, something I'd always been interested in. That's a- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a very I, useful it's skill, but it sounds horrifically boring. It wasn't. I mean, parts of it were, but it was all very, it was all very interesting. And I found something, I mean, I had never really seen, let alone properly read a balance sheet before. (laughs) And, you know, now I know how to read a balance sheet. I even Ah. know what it is, you know? (laughs) Um, So, you know, things like that, there there was a, there was a whole unit on leadership and different styles of leadership that I found that fascinating. But yeah, it's interesting because my, my brother-in-law had, did an MBA as well uh, many years ago. And when he found out I was I was thinking about doing it, he said, oh, so uh, um, uh, Doug's thinking of doing a, a, a master of bugger all, is he? <laughs> MBA. And I said, yeah, it's to go with my master of all, the MFA <laughs> in acting. So yeah, I have two master's degrees now and they both are in bugger all and F all. Wow. So you did a whole, a whole <laughs> master. So that's what, like a year of quite intense studying or yeah it was um 12 months yeah yeah, it was one solid year straight through wow okay and so that um business administration is that something that you're going to sort of leverage as you i don't know pivot and do something different or is it just an added skill that you've kind of taken along with you well i did it partly because i was just interested um I've always been interested in business and the workings of business. I don't know why. I think maybe because I didn't grow up in a in an environment that involved business. And I grew up in a Marine Corps family. Mm. And so uh, the whole idea of entrepreneurship and, um, you know, running and growing a business and stuff, even though that's kind of what I do as an actor anyways. And maybe that's partly why I'm interested as well, because there, there's this whole side of being an actor that is purely about running a business. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just thought it, thought it was interesting. And I did think about leveraging it as well. Um, and it has had an impact on the way that I approach my, the, my, my personal businesses of acting. Um, you know, particularly in the way that I deal with my accounts and mm. things like that. I just, I learned things about ways to think about finance and accountancy and other things like that, um, that have impacted my, my practices. Yeah. I imagine it's very important because you have a lot of creative types today um, actors very much included are responsible for the whole bubble I suppose that is their career I mean the more successful ones probably have 
people or the more famous ones that's not necessarily more successful have people who ma help manage those things but otherwise you know you're in charge of everything you know how you present to the world how you deal with all the stuff coming in you know how you organize that and you have to be you know good at what you do on top of that so i suppose yeah. anything people can do to increase their skills and everyone in day-to-day -day life you know is, is doing a lot of this stuff as well so it sounds like a a valuable skill to me so yeah absolutely you have been busy in these uh few years that um mm. since we spoke so i was looking on your imdb which may or may not be uh complete who knows um <laughs> it's not it definitely isn't <laughs> yeah okay so the what i've seen is you've done a, a bunch of video game voiceovers since then and i think from what i saw <clears throat> the more considerable parts seem to be um voice in a blair witch game the Blair Witch game uh, and in Ghost Recon Breakpoint and Terminator mm -hmm. Resistance, um, that that game. Um, so is that right? You were in those games? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you also supplied additional voices. Um, Horizon Zero Dawn, that's a, a while ago now. Um, and Dying Light 2, I think. And it said that you're recording one for a game called Sacred Fire um, at the moment. Yeah, that's kind of ongoing. The, okay. the developer is putting it out in chapters. Oh, I see. Um, partly for finance reasons. So that each chapter, as they put it out and people buy the chapter, it helps finance their further development of the game. Okay. That's a good um, idea. So, yeah, it's, it's it's a great idea. Have I missed any games from that list? Probably hundreds. Oh, well, one that... Um, I don't think it's actually come out yet, but it's all been announced. It's all out there. Um, I'm the narrator for Diofield Chronicles. Ah, okay. I did see this one. Sorry, and I forgot yeah. to mention it. Which looks like a really fantastic game, and I spent you know a considerable amount of time narrating that game. So that's that's coming out. Um, oh gosh, and there's things I can't talk about, obviously. Um, yeah, Dying Light 2 was a funny one. Why was that a funny one? Um, well, because I still don't know exactly what I did on it. <laughs> um, and, um, it, yeah, and, it, and there's some other stuff in the background there I, I, I won't go into. But um, one of the things I did on that game was I stepped in and covered one of the one of the lead actors because they had covid oh so i went in and recorded uh what uh what i was told would be placeholders and i think that's what they were i haven't played the game so i don't know oh okay. um what ended up happening i believe in the credits i'm listed as as doing additional voices which is probably in the end exactly what i did okay but i also spent a number of hours voicing one of the main characters um, so that the animators could, could I, carry on with their work. I see. Um, or at least that's what I, what I kind of understood I was doing. So, but it was just a bit of a funny one. You know, I went in one day uh, and they said, right, Doug, you're here to, you're here to do someone else's voice. <laughs> really? Oh, okay. So some of those games you can't talk about, are they, are they big projects that you've got coming up or you've done significant work for? Uh, yeah, there's one in particular that I think is going to be massive when it comes out. Okay. Um, and, 
it's been a great project to be involved with. It's it's the first opportunity I've had to do performance capture. Oh wow! <clears throat> and um, and so that's been exciting. And and uh, as part of all that, I've I've been able to experience some uh, amazing technology. Um, I mean, I, this won't give anything away, but I, I went to a dentist's office in um in london i know which game it is i don't i, I don't know <laughs> teeth too <laughs> uh no i had to go into a dentist's office where they did a full 3d scan of my mouth wow yeah and what did they so find they... were they like oh doug you haven't been cleaning <laughs> your teeth properly oh probably <laughs> It'll all just look good for the character anyway. No, so it, they did it so that they could render graphically uh, my teeth onto the character. Wow. But not just my teeth, because I also did a full um, full facial and full body scan. Um, What's that like? So, so basically, it's me in the game. Do you like that? Not really, but... Okay. You know, I, but but that's partly because I mean, I say not really. That's just because um, none of us really like the you know to look at ourselves on camera. Um, but it's an interesting one because I've seen some of the footage and stuff, and and they have basically rendered me, <laughs> uh, and it's it's just a fascinating thing to see. Yeah. Um, so. And what was yeah. the experience of, of being in motion capture? Because as I understand it, and this might not be right, when you're giving the motion performance, they are also taking the sound. They're kind of shooting a scene, as it were, and mm. then they'll transpose that into digital uh, footage later. Is that what happens? Basically, what, uh, motion capture is without the sound, though, oh, typically. okay. Um, performance capture is what you're talking about. It's, ah. it's it's the whole shebang. So with motion capture, you're wearing the suit with the little baubles and everything. Okay. And it captures your movement. Uh, with facial capture, it's you wear a head rig and it captures the expressions on your face and, you know, stuff like that. And your sound, uh, if they mic you up. Uh, performance capture is is all three. So you're wearing the performance capture suit, uh, the the motion capture suit. You've got a head rig on, uh, wow, and, and you're mic'd up. So every it's you know it, it's capturing everything about you, your your facial expressions, the way you move, um, and your voice all at the same time. Uh, and it's pretty cool stuff. And you can find uh, you can find a really good example of it on YouTube, I think. And it's um, Benedict Cumberbatch uh, oh. recording for Smaug in The Hobbit, and he's there and he's giving it all, and you can see that you can see the head rig, and he's got the performance capture suit on, and everything. So, yeah, that's that's a really good example of performance capture. Yeah, some of these um, actors doing, even when they're just doing voiceovers, I'm kind of surprised and pleasantly surprised by how much they give it how much they kind mm. of let themselves go and really put, I mean, I think Benedict Cumberbatch is one of those kind of actors. He really kind of gives everything, not to suggest other people aren't, but yeah, it, it kind of surprises me. But yeah, it's a new 
sort of frontier. I imagine it feels quite mm. cumbersome if you have all these things on, but at the same time, you know, the prospect of having yourself captured quite closely in a game is quite exciting. It is, yeah, it is. Um, it's also just an interesting uh, technical challenge. Mm. I mean, you know, people often ask, you know, what what do you have to do differently? Um, well, the acting is the same. The acting is basically the same. You just have to take into account certain technical considerations. Mm. Like, you know, when you're wearing a facial capture rig, you've got a you've got a rig coming out in front of your face with a camera at the end of it so you can't bump into walls and stuff you know you you have to have a different spatial awareness um but the basic uh approach to creating character and living moment to moment in that character uh with that character in their world is the same yeah would you do um was it performance capture that you were doing or motion capture uh, a bit of both, really, ah. but mostly performance capture. Would you do it again, and or was there anything oh, yeah. that you okay? Was there anything that you didn't like about it? Um, <laughs> my silhouette in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> so, but surely you must have taken one of the pictures of like, hey, here I am. I did, my... yeah, and I posted it on Twitter and everything. So. Yeah. So you've also been busy in in TV and film land um, as well. And one of the things that I saw you do, you spent a lot of time and effort, I think, even organizing and kind of creating this on a kids TV series uh, called Dog Years. Um, And I think for the same production company, you did a film called Future TX, too. Mm -hmm. Is that am I kind of am I on the right path there? Absolutely. Yeah. It's the same production company. Um, I, I might get it slightly wrong because, you know, how these production companies work is they'll often have satellite production companies yeah. and then there's a parent company. I think the parent company is Nelson Nutmeg Pictures and um, Nelson Nutmeg Pictures is um, is a group of filmmakers based in Bournemouth. Um, oh, I see. Yeah, based in Dorset, and they shoot in and around the Dorset region. And um, yeah, I got to know them because um, one of the one of the um, producers. I'm not sure what his actual title is. Um, Tim Clegg. He's um, he's a big fan of The Witcher, and um, uh, he he contacted me through BAFTA actually because he's a BAFTA member as well. And he sent me a message one day just saying, hey, Doug, big fan of The Witcher. I'm making a film. You want to be in it? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, let's talk. Um, but, yeah, I remember going to the audition for Future TX. Uh, no, did I? No, I didn't. No, I'm thinking about dog ears. I'm mixing things up. I did Future TX with them. I, okay. I played the, I played the, um, the male lead's father. And that was good fun. I was only on the shoot for one day, but it was fun. Uh, or maybe it was two days. Um, and and then they invited me to come in and audition for dog years. And so I had to take my dog in, my little border, uh, border terrier 
whose name is Digby. <laughs> and um, all of us auditioning, you know, we were asked to bring our dogs with us and um, had a fantastically fun afternoon uh, with these other people auditioning for the roles and stuff and um, pairing up with different potential mothers um, and talking gibberish to our dogs. Yeah, the, right. Because years, it's uh, the series. I was watching a clip and it seems to be so you, you the series is played through the perspective of the dog, really. Yeah. Um, and you see the humans are talking what would to a dog is is gibberish. It's just noises. Uh, so the humans are kind of doing things and then the dog is kind of narrating uh, what's going yeah. on. And you're a kind of you're one of the you're one of the parents in this, I think. Or Yeah, there's three human char- four human characters. There's the, the father, the mother and the uh, the little girl, the, the, the daughter. And then there is a. Um, there's a weird next door neighbor named Uncle or something like that, <laughs> um, uh, played by Jamie Lee Hill, and uh, yeah, it, it's a fun, fun, fun kids TV series, and we had a lot of fun recording. It looks this is this you can feel the energy just watching it. You can feel the kind of I, I mean, I, you have to give kids shows energy, I guess, because that's what that's what they are you need to kind of grab grab the kids but you can kind of feel there's a a genuine sense of sort of fun behind it which which feels really nice but so this seems to have been yeah quite a big a big project that kind of took it's just it's an odd project to see you connected with coming from I mean not as an actor you know you I suppose you do sometimes what work is presented to you but as as the witcher you're like hang on is the witcher it's an odd place to put Geralt in, I suppose. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. You know, it, it. If as a freelancer, you 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 generally find it difficult to turn work down. Yeah, not that I would have turned that down because I loved the idea from the beginning. I thought it was a fantastic idea, and I'm not particularly. Um, what's the world word prideful about about my image i'm not trying to protect some grand brand image or something like that yeah i'm i'm doug and i I can be just as goofy as anybody else or i can be a bit scary you know um or much more serious um like most actors but i guess yeah some people they they have an idea how they want their brand to be presented to the world and i think my brand is i'll do whatever man i'm (laughs) I'm happy to i'm happy to goof around on on set with a trained dog um uh, or i'm happy to get all serious and do gravelly voices and threaten to kill bad people so this probably explains why there was a short film um that i think is sort of being shown around now it's called doubt buys the whiskey um, and the promotional image for this is you uh, naked from the waist up and not, you know, not completely naked. Um, and you have a shower cap on, I think, and a plunger in one hand. Now, what the hell is all that about, Doug? <laughs> I don't think it's a plunger. Is it a plunger or is it like one of those back scratcher oh, it, washer things? It I may well it be, be one of those. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it was a fun project to be a part of i one of the 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 cinematographer or dop whatever you want to call him from dog years 
uh, and he was also the the DOP on Future TX. Uh, his name's Reddy, and he makes his own films. Ah. And he'd written this script, and uh, we, we just got on really well. He's a, he's a really nice guy and, and very talented. And um, he just called me up one day and said, Doug, I've got this script, and I'm thinking of shooting it, and I'd really like you to, to read it and see what you think about playing this character, Doubt. And originally the script was for two actors, a, a, a young woman and um, a slightly more mature or more mature man who plays her doubt. Oh, and okay. the young woman would play a comedian who's, who's trying to, you know, build her career up. And one night after a bad set, her doubt comes to visit <coughs> and I would be that doubt. Well, I read the script and I went, yeah, I quite like this. This is, this has real potential. I, you know, I, I like where you're taking this ready. And then he, he wrote back about, I don't know, three or four months later and said, I've, I've, I've rejigged the script. Can you read it again, please? And he sent me a new copy and I read it and he'd changed the, the female to a male. And at first I didn't get what he was doing. Didn't understand what he was doing. I read it and I just thought, I like it better. I like it better if the comedian's a female. There's a better dynamic there because then you've got a father-daughter kind of thing going on. Um, and he said, no, 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 you're not getting this, Doug. I want you to play both roles. Oh, I see. So what he decided is that doubt can't be – he didn't say this, but this is what I took away. Um, doubt can't be an an older man to a young woman. That's That doesn't seem right. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to work with me, so he decided to rewrite the young woman role into a into a into into basically this comedian is visited by his own doubt, so doubt has to look like him. I see. Okay. So, and the the irony in all of this, we we went and we had a coffee at a local uh, a local pub, and um, and when it, when I twigged what he was wanting me to do, he wanted me to memorize both roles so we could film them both. You know, he wanted to do a guerrilla shoot, you know, like over the over the course of three days. And and I said, I said, I honestly said this to him. I said, Raddy, I have doubts about whether or not I can memorize <laughs> all of that. I haven't memorized that many lines in a long time. You know, I I go into studios and I read off of spreadsheets and you know that's what I do mostly. I haven't memorized that number of lines in a very long time. And he was like, yeah, that's kind of what this whole thing is about. Doubting yourself. So isn't it, isn't it a good challenge for you, Doug? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I suppose so. I, I came home and I talked to my wife and I said, well, he wants me to do this. And I just have doubts about my ability to, <laughs> to memorize that much dialogue. Um, and she was like, well, that's why you should do it then. Ah, yes. A good comp- do you have a process for learning lines in, in that situation? Um, yeah. Repeat, repeat, repeat. <laughs> um, there's no shortcut. I always huh? have to. There's no shortcut, no. Um, there, um, there are those who are proponents of memorizing by rote. So you just memorize the words, but you don't attach any particular emotion mm. or context to them. And some people can do that. I can't do it, though. I have to, because part of what I'm memorizing 
is what you're is, saying, what you mean. Okay, so yeah, it's the meaning behind the words. It's not they're not just words. There's 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 a there's an emotional and mental context, psychological mm. context for these words to exist. So for myself, part of what I'm memorizing when I'm memorizing lines is I'm memorizing the psychological and emotional journey of the character. Um, and then part of the reason some people don't advocate that and they advocate memorizing by rote is because if you memorize by rote and the words are just words and you can respond emotionally and psychologically uh, yeah. in the moment more um, naturally. Hmm. But you can do that if you're a good actor as well. Mm. So you memorize the emotional and psychological journey of the words, and then the director can say, can you just take that line and twist it this way a little bit more? Yeah, I can do that. Yeah. Mm. So so normally I would break off and kind of talk about um, people's uh, kind of upbringing in their lives and career to this point to see how they got here. But we covered that years ago. So <laughs> I'm not going to talk about that here. But I wanted to know, um, from your perspective, listening, I wanted to talk about voice acting as a craft, really. And I wanted to know, from your perspective, how do you know when you're listening to a good quality or top quality voiceover, what is it about that voiceover that says good quality or top quality to you? What are the things? Yeah, I'll leave it there. What, what are the things you're listening for? When I'm listening to other performances? Yeah. Or your own, but, but other performances, yeah, typically. Um, well, I don't do that generally. So, I mean, I'm not saying I can't answer the question. I'm just trying to pick that apart. Casting directors do that. Mm. Um, directors do that. Um, Playtesters do that to a certain extent. Um, I, I, generally speaking, I try to just listen. I, I, I first of all. I very rarely am just listening to a performance, to a voice voice performance. Mm. I'm usually hearing the performance as part of a visual. So I'm usually just um, enjoying the journey, enjoying the narrative, enjoying the storytelling. Um, if I am listening critically to a vocal performance what i'm i suppose what i'm listening for is a sense of truthfulness mm. uh, i mean it's what i look for in acting anyways as a teacher as a director um uh, and 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 as a performer myself what i'm always after is something is a performance that rings true mm. and truth is such a tricky thing because it's so subjective you know what i feel is truthful might not be what you feel is truthful um, but in general, I think that if you find something that strikes you, I, me, if I, if something strikes me as truthful, then it probably will strike others as truthful as well. Yeah. I don't know if that's because I have honed through years of actor training and experience my, <laughs> my truth radar. <laughs> Is that even a thing? I don't know. Um, 
I, uh, that's a really hard question to answer, Bert. That's really hard um, because it's not my job. Yeah. My job is to deliver the truthful performance, is to deliver the performance that is professional and top-notch. That, that's my job. Um, I can say that when I'm recording, I'm almost always hearing myself in my ear, in my cans. I'm hearing my own performance in real time, and I'm judging it, and uh. I'm criticizing it. And I know if I can do that line better. Um, so how do you know a... when you've been truthful as it were how do you know when you've hit the mark it feels truthful okay it which sounds really simple and simplistic and it's not at all um and sometimes i'm wrong um but that's what the director's there for to say no we got it let's move on because sometimes I'm, I can be hypercritical of myself. I think a lot of mm. us can be. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. That can be a, a good thing. Uh, so, yeah, sometimes I'll, I'll say a line and I'll just immediately go, I'm going to do that one again. Because I, 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 I could connect. feel it. it yeah, I could feel it. Something, I could hear it in the performance and I could feel it in my body. Something wasn't right. Something was, didn't feel truthful. Didn't feel... Connected is a good word. You said connected. It's a good word as well. Um, and sometimes I'll do a line and I'll think, yeah, nailed that. And the director <laughs> will go, let's, uh, let's just do that one again. And let's give it a, let, let's pull it back a tiny bit and let's give it, a, make, make these words operational and let's see where that takes us. And then sometimes the first take was fine and that, that one was rubbish. And sometimes through the director's, uh, outside eye or ear, as it were, um, they identify something that brings us closer to that that connection, that truthfulness. Yeah. So it's always a collaborative thing. Yeah, I think there's sometimes a focus on when when people are listening to or even watching a performance on the screen. I think sometimes the actors themselves can cop a bit of flack if if their performance isn't what people expect or perhaps mm. they don't like the performance or whatever i think sometimes they don't see the role of a director um in these things um and i wonder yeah. just from your experience how you know important a director is in that situation and how much they are influencing you know what comes out how much they are potentially in control of that oh. A director's impact on the quality of the recording cannot be overstated, in, in my experience. Um, a good director helps to draw an excellent performance out of, out of the actor. Um, some actors respond, well, all actors respond differently to different directorial styles and personalities. Mm. Uh, I have worked with directors in the past who, through no real fault of their own, just through their own approach, have made me feel doubtful about my performance. And that ends up, I think, coming through in the performance. Mm. Um, I have 
I have also worked with directors who have built me up, um, where I, I felt doubtful. Maybe I wasn't expressing it. Um, and maybe they picked up on it and they were, I, I may be going into this too deep, man. No, no, um, it's, it's good. It's interesting. I think that the, the, it is collaborative and like any collaboration, if one member of the team is in a foul mood or decides that um, they know better than everybody else in the room, that can have an, a, a direct impact on the quality of what we're all trying to achieve. Yeah. I think that's what I really want to say. Um, and there have been moments in studios that were fraught with, you know, foul moods or, um, I mean, I've gone into studios occasionally, you know, not feeling my best. Mm. Um, usually not through any fault of my own. Um, I just slept poorly or, you know, I've eaten something that's got my stomach going a bit funny or something, you know. And that can affect the working atmosphere as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a bit deep and meaningful, all that, isn't it? I think like any any art form that is collaborative, we all have to bring our A-games to what we're doing. And sometimes that A-game is to let go. Hmm. Um, sometimes that, through experience, I think I've learned that sometimes I have to just go, that's good enough. Yeah. Which is a really hard thing to have to say <laughs> to yourself. Yeah, but it's a very healthy thing to say as well, because I think um, this chase of perfection or, or the idea of perfection can potentially be a very damaging thing uh, for yeah, people. Yeah, absolutely. So let's fast forward a bit. Let's leave all that behind for a second. So exciting news recently that The Witcher 1 is being remade um you know and i was reading back through our interview we did a while ago and mm -hmm. you were talking about your experience of recording the witcher one in a studio on the corner of mark estale's house i think up in uh, the, the hills uh somewhere but it was very different the experience i think from what you had with witcher 2 and witcher 3 especially and one of the things you were saying about it was that when you came back to the character in Witcher 2, you almost didn't get the part, which was something we cover in the interview. But when you came back to the character, you, you did get the part. And when you came back to Geralt, you realized, I think you had a different, maybe a different director or, or someone there. And, and you realized you could give Geralt a bit more emotion, a bit more, not charisma, but a bit more rise and fall, yeah. something like that. And I wonder, you know, now with this new project, approaching is there an opportunity to re-record any of it well possibly and ju just to just to clarify some of what you just said um uh witcher one wasn't recorded at mark's house okay um it was recorded in a, a professional studio in sheffield um and uh, it, it was a different environment yeah altogether uh because it was in 2005 yeah. So the whole industry worked differently. Um, 
I didn't have a director per se on Witcher 1. I see. Okay. I was directed by the developers. I can't remember exactly who was there, but there were at least four guys from CD Projekt Red who were there and they were serving as the directors. Um and and they were great. Uh if for being people who I don't think had ever directed a voice actor before. Um and we and we got through it and we and you know we did this whole thing and it turned out to be a great game. Um so the part of the difference between Witcher 1 and Witcher 2 and 3 is that in Witcher 2 and 3 we did have professional directors on board to direct the voice actors. That wasn't my doing. That was and that's that was partly the doing of the studios discovering that actually voice directors are a valuable commodity to have in the studio. <laughs> You know, so, um, but there were things that happened. There, there were, um, uh, City Project decided between Witcher 1 and 2 to kind of start with a clean slate. They, they created a new engine for Witcher 2 to build Witcher 2 in. They decided to go with a whole different production studio, voice production studio, um, and as part of that, they were, they were recasting everything as well. I think I was, I ended up being one of the very few who came from Witcher one and carried on into Witcher two mm. and three. Um, so I've, I've lost track of what your question was, Bertie. So um, I was asking if there was an opportunity to re-record. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, something else you said was, um, did, you know, did I feel like there was more scope to, Yes. To give Geralt more. I never I never felt that he was completely un, inhuman in his emotional response to the world. Um, so I think there was a combination, because if you do play all the games, which one through three and then the DLCs, you'll see that Geralt, over the games, he becomes a much more emotional being. Mm. Um, and I think there's a combination of factors in there. One is that... I was constantly pushing that envelope consciously and unconsciously of giving him more of an emotional life, more of a, because if he was just a monster hunter with no emotions, what do we have to connect to in the character? Yeah. Yeah. You know? So I was always pushing that envelope a little bit and as CD project, and this is, this is no criticism of, of them at all. This is actually, uh, in my mind, this is a, um, a celebration of their willingness to evolve. Um, whether it was my pushing gently or whether it was the confidence of the writers um, or, 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 or the producers or the directors or whoever it was, I felt that there was a combination of... of factors that allowed that to happen for Geralt. I definitely noticed that the writing became more complex and gave me more opportunities to go to that place um, as, as the games matured. So again, it's a collaborative art form. You know, it's not, it wasn't me making a decision to do something. It wasn't the writers making a decision to yeah. do something. I think that there was a, 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 a a mixture of people wanting this to be excellent work. And that means now that we need to go there. Um, 
for Witcher 1 Remake, now, I know as much as you do okay. about this at the moment. I All I know is that CD Projekt Red has announced that they're going to remake Witcher 1 in uh, Unreal 5. Um, and that's what I know. Okay. So I don't know if they're going to bring me back in to do re-recording of the dialogue. I don't know if they're going to use dialogue from Witcher 1 as it exists. Um, I don't know. Um, I imagine in an ideal world, if they're rebuilding an Unreal 5, they're going to have to tweak the script because they're going to have the ability to do things that they didn't have the ability to do of course. when they first made Witcher 1. Um, so that may well mean that they may decide to uh, revoice some or all of the game. Yeah. And I think as you were saying, if some of the roles were recast, it fudges the kind of timelines a bit. If you have a new game, but with different different performers. Um, and and also, like you said, uh, things developed, they developed as a, um, a storytelling you know, developer. Their craft improved. Um, yeah. Everything improved. So I think the oldness of that game in, in its original presentation, you know, makes sense. It's clearly an older thing and you, you can see mm -hmm. how it's evolved. But when you then put it as a newer thing, but it still has older content in, I think then you come up against a tricky situation. But I suppose it depends on how big of a project they are envisaging it to be. And I don't know either so yeah well i just can't imagine I, I, I say in all my grand uh technological know-how <laughs> of how games are built and made and everything else um i just can't imagine that with the technology they have available to them now that they would try to recreate the same combat system the same, uh, the same look of the characters, mm. um, the same, uh, the exact same storylines. I mean, this, they'll they'll want to keep the storyline, obviously, but you know, I just I imagine with the technology they have at their finger uh, fingerprints fingertips <laughs> at their fingertips now, they will want to make changes. I just have no idea what those changes might be. Yeah, but if they called you up and said, "Hey, Doug, we want you to come and do some work for us," would you say yes? I'd be there in an instant. So, good news. Talking of changes, there was another big change in Witcher World recently, and that was Henry Cavill or Cavill. I'm not sure how you pronounce his surname. Cavill, I'm pretty Cavill. sure. Cavill. Yeah. So he came out and he said he's he's leaving the Witcher Netflix show. Now, I have to ask you what you think about that. Well, I think it's really sad. Um, and there's a lot of people speculating on the reasons why he's decided to leave. Um, but for whatever the reason is, um, uh, I think it is sad because I think Henry, I think, I think he did a fabulous job as Geralt of Rivia. I I never knew what to expect. Um, but once I finally saw his performance in the finished um, 
I, he invited me to the premiere and I got to go see the the premiere uh, in London. Did you and did you spend any time with him? Did you talk to him about the role? I did, yeah. Ah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We spent a good, I don't know, an hour or two chatting about the Witcher world and being Geralt of Rivia. What kind of things did he say? Because I imagine he has questions. Because it's a difficult character to be. And I'm like, you spent years yeah. thinking about it and I'm sure he was picking your brains a little bit as well. Do you know... <laughs> Rob, I have I have a little memory of our <laughs> conversation. I, I remember bits and snatches of of of, uh, of conversation, but um, I think I was quite nervous. <laughs> um, and I'd had a beer, and it was a <laughs> it was it was one of those in it was one of those um, evenings where it. Uh, I felt a bit like a, a, a bit of a fish out of water because it was, I, it was at the, after the, the premiere after party and um, the vast majority of the people there were people involved in the production. So they knew each other. Ah. Uh. <coughs> and um, uh, it was lovely to be there. Absolutely lovely to be there and to celebrate, especially having seen what they produced. Um uh but yeah but my, my conversation with henry was in the context of um me feeling a little bit out of place for obvious reasons um and uh it, it not being about me so mm. it wasn't like we were on our own in a cafe you know sipping coffee yeah it was a very charged environment um so I do remember we 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 talked about Superman. We talked about Geralt and and the Witcher. Um, we had some similar thoughts about Geralt. If I remember correctly, he felt the same way I do about him not being an emotionless um, being. Um, and I think we can see that in his performance. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I'm sad to see him go. Uh, I wish Liam Hemsworth the very best of fortunes with it i i am excited to see what he does with it but i'm sad to see henry go because henry i felt i just felt he did a fabulous job yeah and it, it's tricky i guess because he's become synonymous uh with that role now and and liam hemsworth is put in a, a really <sighs> difficult position yeah um, i feel for him man because i mean i don't know that i've seen a lot of liam's work i have to go look him up i don't know what he's been in and what he hasn't um but yeah it's an impossible position because you as an actor you don't want to turn an opportunity like that down mm -hmm. but at the same at the same time he's stepping into some big shoes mm -hmm. superman you know? size shoes well Geralt of Rivia-sized <laughs> shoes, you know, but Henry Cavill-sized shoes, yeah. you know? I mean, Henry really, really embodied the, the role of Geralt in a wonderful way. So, yeah, I don't envy Liam. Yeah. So, you've, you're busy with uh, other game work, and, and, and you said that you've got, there's a, a, game, a game you think people would be excited about. And you spent um, a lot of time on that. So I'm looking forward 
to seeing what that is. And in terms of kind of looking ahead and, and, and your, your future in games, are you quite comfortable with carrying on or do you have, you know, any wild ambitions to do certain things or, you know, what, when you look to the future, have you any idea of what you want it to hold? Well, um, <laughs> I wanted to continue to hold paychecks in there somewhere <laughs> for me. I mean, that's nice, you know, kind of need that to, you know, keep rolling along. But artistically, I love doing games. I absolutely love it. Um, and it sounded, I think, in there in my voice like like there's a but. There isn't a but. I love doing games. Um, so I'd like that to carry on for, you know, as long as as long as I can keep doing it. Um, I would very much like to revisit Geralt on, you know, at, at any opportunity. Um, so that, that would be fun. Um, something I don't get to do a lot of that I would love to do more of. Um, I, uh, back in March... I performed in a play. Yes, of course. For the first time in a very, very long time. Uh, uh, you know, Is this live fall, on stage Fallout play. in the Heights? Is that, was that the name of the play? Uh, no. It, not, not in the Heights, just Fallout. Oh, sorry. I think Fallout in the Heights is something else. I think that's a TV series or something. Oh, okay. Um, no, it was, a, it was a play called Fallout. And... Um, there were a lot of reasons I did it. Uh, it. It was it was it was only for four performances, but um, week and a half of rehearsals leading into four performances, wow. and I played I played a uh, supporting character, and it was just really nice to get back on a live stage in front of a live audience. I haven't done that in a very long time. I've directed plays mm. on stage, uh, but it had been a long time since I performed in one, and I. It's my first love, and I know you do a lot of acting. <laughs> you you do a lot of um. Uh, I, who, who, who's the company you primarily work with? There's a there are a couple in Brighton. Um, there are a couple of uh, amateur theatres. There's the Brighton Little Theatre and there's the New Venture Theatre. But there are other kind of things around. I think once you join the community of one, they all start to overlap, and there's just a sea yeah. of kind of creative people around this area. Um, who yeah. and you start getting people popping up and going, "Do you want to do this? Do you want to do this? How about this?" Which is lovely. Yeah, it's great. But you you know what I mean. You know there there is a there is a buzz about performing live in front of an audience for sure. And um, it's what I was primarily trained to do, and and it's what I've always loved. And so having had that experience of being back in a rehearsal room, um, finding those moments, uh, and then performing them live on stage in front of an audience i want more i want more <laughs> i would love I would, to see because that was in america i think uh it was yeah went. i would love yeah. i'd love to see something um here with you in so i will watch watch this space uh King. yeah any, anybody who you know runs the regional theater or, or west end for goodness sake you know yeah i love i love the stage always have always will fantastic so Thank you very much for your time. We've almost come to the end, but there are a couple of questions that I ask everyone to see what comes out. And the first of these is your first 
game what was the first game you played it could be the very first game you played or it could be the first significant gaming experience are we including board games you or are we do. talking video games whichever are whichever come to your head first i grew up gaming before video games were even a thing um I think pretty much everybody's first game is something like, you know, checkers, drafts, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but I grew up playing Sorry, the board game Sorry. Do you know Sorry? I don't think they have Sorry over it here. It doesn't ring a bell. It might be a U.S. thing. Um, and Risk. Mm -hmm. I used to love playing Risk. Um, and before Risk, somewhere along the line when I was – maybe eight or nine i got into dungeons and dragons and i've always loved dungeons and dragons and um do you play it now because obviously with critical role for example there's um yeah. a resurgence in... it's cool now yeah um and people who you know performers actors are discovering that they can you know play make-believe um but on stream and you know this is an extension of their work is i've seen you've played a few games i think you did one with johnny at one point uh johnny chiadini and some other times is that something you do often johnny or Chiedini. i think johnny chiadini was maybe led you in a game i think it might have been of the witcher tabletop role-playing game oh yes yes i was trying to remember the name um, yes, I've done a couple charity streams uh, playing playing Geralt in a Geralt TTRPG uh, settings um, for for yeah live live stream charity events. That's been good fun. Um, yeah, I and I have played when I was in Pennsylvania doing this play. Uh, there were several people in the cast who were who you know big D and D players and stuff and. Uh, um, one of them was a uh, locally really well-known DM. Oh, wow. So he put together a special one-shot for um, for me and some of the cast and um, a few a few of the regulars, and that was great fun. Um, but coming back to, to – we'll bring it back to video games. I think – no, I, I know that the very <laughs> first video game – well, no, that's not true. Oh, my God. Okay. I think some of the first video games I ever played were back in the 80s, um, maybe the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. No, late 70s. Um, Pac-Man, Defender, Asteroids, um, uh, Gal Galaga, uh, you know, stuff like that. The, the, the proper, you know, cabinet video games and they were a quarter a play <laughs> you know 25 cents a play and i used to go and wash cars and mow lawns and stuff to earn my five bucks so i could go down to the arcade and you know you've seen it in stranger things and things <laughs> like that you know the classic arcade that was my introduction to video games but then for pc gaming it was um wagon train i've Wow, I don't know what that I is. I think it was a game called Wagon Train. When my family first purchased a PC, it could do very few things. <laughs> but one thing it could do was play this game called Wagon Train, I think it was. 
and it was rubbish. <laughs> but it was all we had. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Made it. Okay, so the next question, and we may have just touched on this, um, is uh, your last game. What was the last game you played? And perhaps this was Dungeons and Dragons, but it might be something different. No, the last game I played was actually, it's a video game that came out recently called... Oh, gosh, the name is escaping me. I can't remember what it was called. You might know it, though, Birdie. Um, it. Sorry, I keep calling you Birdie. That's just how, how I know no, you. No, that's fine. That's, that's, is that okay? That's perfect. Um, uh, it's about a fox. It's not a, it's not a 2D scroller. It's more it 3D-ish. No, but it's kind of like that. It starts with an E. Um, I'm pretty sure it starts with an E. It's about a fox, and you play the fox mama, and you and you have these puppies, these kits, and the whole game is about keeping them alive. Uh, I've only played about I don't know an hour, hour and a half of it, but that's that's the most recent game I've been playing. I am rapidly it googling it, um, but uh, I can't. Get... <laughs> I've searched for fox game mama kits video game, uh, and nothing. Uh, I'm I'm getting some uh, rubbish results. One to one to find out later. You've got your concentration face on there, as if you're. I do. I'm looking it up as well. I'm intrigued. Oh, it just goes back to classic ones. It's just come out this past year. Um, I can't. My mind is stuck on Tunic, so I need to go and shake it around, and then maybe I'll discover it later. Something to look up. Okay, so the last of these questions is <laughs> best game. So which is your best game or your favorite game? And I know this is... Which are three, of course. There we go. <laughs> I was going to say this is Which an impossible is question, but it's not an impossible question. <laughs> yeah, of course, it's the Witcher Three. <laughs> well, um, it is. It is uh, for obvious reasons, but a very close second. And if if I, it weren't for my close involvement with the Witcher Three, um, this may well be my best game. It's 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 the game I come to when people say, "What's the game you would most recommend?" or something like that. I mean, it's still Witcher Three, but there's this game, and it's not really a game. It's more like a an interactive graphic novel. Okay. And it's called What Remains of Edith Finch. I have played it. It is wonderful. Isn't it a beautiful experience? It's in incredible. People have talked about it for a long time. It may have been one of our games of the year a few years ago when it came out. Um, but I didn't play it at the time. I played it a few years after. And so I there was all this hype about it. I didn't really know what it was and I was just it's difficult when there's a lot of hype surrounding a game because it 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 creates a kind of air of expectation around something when you go to sit down and play it you don't just sort of judge it fresh but even so mm. playing that I thought was and you're right to call it I think a visual novel it is kind of like that you you experience things but I was I'm, I'm maybe putting words in your mouth here but I was blown away by the 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 imagination um, involved and how the imagination in how it could tell you a story 
and the different ways. Mm. I just, I thought it was delightful. Sorry, I don't want to take over there. No, no, no. I'm interested to hear what you say because um, my own experience of it was uh, was rather deep. I wept. Oh, wow. I literally sat there and cried at the end of the game. Um, it had that powerful a, a, um, an impact on me. And I think, I think partly because I didn't really realize what it was until about halfway through. And then I started to click and I started to go, this is not, all is not as it seems here. Mm. Um, and once I got on that boat, <laughs> so I, I'm a great one for metaphors. Um, once I got on that boat, I was just like, holy moly, this is a journey. Yeah. I think it's a wonderful game as well for, I think I played it through with my partner. And I think it's a wonderful game for being something that you can show people who aren't familiar with controlling games on a controller. Mm. And it'd be something that they can sit down and enjoy. And, and one of those games that's almost, you feel proud that it's a, a video game, uh, an experience mm. that you're proud that you can show people that isn't not to take anything away from what a game like Call of Duty does or those other games, but they're a more stereotyped game, this game experience. Whereas this was something, it felt like something deeper that was pushing uh, a different kind of experience. Mm. And I, yeah, I think it's, it's wonderful. If anyone listening to this hasn't played What Remains of Edith Finch, I think it's had um, a current gen sort of tidy up as well. So um, Has it? I think if anyone hasn't played it, I... Yeah, severely recommend you do a severe recommendation. I don't. Yeah, severe recommendations. I like this. Tug, I've kept you for a very long time. Thank you so much. It's really lovely to see you again, and thank you so much for all the time you spent with me this afternoon and us collectively. I suppose. No problem. It's been a pleasure to talk with you again, Bertie, and uh, maybe I'll see you at the next next EGX or. I would something. love it and I'll make sure um, the powers that be um, ask you to be there basically um, <laughs> thank you everyone to listening thanks again uh, to Doug this was one to one I am Bertie and we will see you next time bye for now <laughs>